When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host. Up first, I'm going to introduce the one and only Dana Roach. Um, with record heat temperatures around here this week, I am trying to stay positive about it. Um, you know, yes, we haven't found a solution for climate change yet, but like, we're definitely getting warmer, I think. Oh, no. Th you know, Dana, that's not the game of hot and cold that I wanted to play with you no. tonight. Uh, <laughs> you can't laugh at our inevitable demise. Come on, Joey. <laughs> wow. All right. We're really starting off on a, a <laughs> lovely note. Ever the optimist you are, Dana. Um, if it's cool with you, I'm just going to go ahead <laughs> cool and introduce shirts. our guest for the episode. We're also joined by Rules Committee member Jim LaPage. Jim, I hope you are having a fantastic and truly optimistic time. I am. Yeah, thanks for having me. My my, my, my joke's a little less dark. <laughs> cool, okay. <laughs> How could it not be? I prepped myself for laughs, but now I'm just sad. <laughs> no, not a lot of people know this about me, but I'm an insurance guy, and we we recently insured an Indian restaurant close by, um, but they're so secretive, right? I had to sign a legal agreement that I would not share their flatbed recipe. And I mean, realistically, it was just a standard non-disclosure. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, but my, my favorite magazines are the ones that are uh, about unleavened bread, the real non-issues. Um, <laughs> I've been thrown in two very different directions. I've got, you know what this was? I've got the Oppenheimer movie on one side of me yes. and the Barbie movie on the other. That's go. what's happening in my life at this moment. <laughs> oh, goodness. Dana, um, uh, let, let's bring it back to a magic focus. What are we talking about in this week's episode? The argument that will never die, how we should just play more removal. Oh, yeah. This this is an argument that does get bandied about quite a lot online. And that's why we thought, hey, who better to have on to discuss this topic than a member of the Rules Committee like you, Jim? Uh, well, yeah, you know, that's what I'm here for. I, I'm actually just like waiting in the wings to be activated, right? <laughs> play more removal. I'm like, oh, I'm in there. Put me in, coach. <laughs> in case uh, of emergency, break glass. Right. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man, it'll be great. But before we get into the main topic, we've got some shout outs we want to do first real quick. We'd like to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for helping editing the show. And you can find them online at Mana Curves. 
And if you'd like to support the show, you can like and subscribe to this video on YouTube, and you can find us at patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST, where you can sign up for just a dollar a month. There are a bunch of really cool perks over there, including exclusive access to a Patreon Discord. And of course, we've got our awesome perk where we shout out one lucky listener every single episode. Dana, who are we shouting out this week? We are shouting out Christoph Knorr, who I can only assume is from the Knorr family, um, known for their their packaged sauces and spice ingredients that you can make a, a fine dressing or chili. So, Christoph, thank you for supporting us, and thank you for your fantastic ranch dressing recipe. Dana, I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> it was either that or, oh, no. or, or go, with a, <laughs> go with a Thor 3 nor the God Butcher reference, and I thought I would go with the uh, sauces packet thing instead. All right, we, we've gone way off the deep end, but let's try and center ourselves by talking about some of the magical cardboard rectangles. Um, Jim, we've got you on the show, and we're really excited to, uh, to have you on. And we're talking about, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves, just by having the words play more removal in like the title of this episode, we've already lit the comment section on fire. So I think <laughs> it's safe to say that this is a touchy subject, but it is a pretty common thing that we hear in the commander community that, uh, there are a lot of people having overreactions to things like um, that. I don't know. Anytime a new set comes out, whether it's like Elish Norn being the one to start this discourse or the banning of Holebreacher starting this discourse or when the new card Orcish Bowmasters came out, when powerful cards get brought up in the commander discourse, um, a, a common thing that we hear is that commander players should play more removal to deal with those things. And um, I'm curious where your brain's at as we start off in this discussion with regards to that type of argument. <laughs> like whenever I hear this, the thing that pops into my head, and it, it's like every single time, and it, this is not the only situation where this pops into my head, but play more removal is an argument that is a great way to be correct without being helpful or relevant. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> And so, like, it's really easy to be correct about things, right? But being helpful requires you to think about the situation and the problem that a person is having, their goals for resolving it, and then working in the same direction, right? So when you, like, it's, it's kind of like, well, you know, you see somebody struggling with bringing their groceries into the car, right? One way to resolve that problem is to help them with their groceries. And another way is to say, you know, maybe if you went to the gym a little bit more often, you wouldn't have a problem carrying your groceries in, right? <laughs> oh it's God. correct, probably, but it's not going to help them do what they're doing, right? So I, I, I feel like play more removal fits into that category because it doesn't acknowledge the fact that people have different motivations for playing magic. And this is like something that I talk about a lot, but there are a lot of people that don't want to be in an environment where they feel like they have to play more removal or they feel like they have to constantly be improving at their hobby in order to play it at all. Mm. Right. If, if you were to draw a parallel to like a pickup basketball game or whatever, right. Um, you know, absolutely. If I went to a, a basketball boot camp or whatever, I'd probably learn some skills and maybe get in better shape and whatever. And I'd be better at basketball, but that's not like what I'm looking to do when I'm playing basketball in my driveway. Yeah, You know, I might just be like enjoying a nice day outside and getting some physical activity and like having some fun with my friends and nobody's keeping score. Right. So for that group of people, when you say play more removal, you're just talking past them. This is not the goal that they're going for. And so like offering them this kind of advice or comment is, is not going to help them resolve it. I, I think that is a 
really good way to phrase it. And I would kind of make a parallel point to that as well um, and say run more removal is kind of the, won't you think of the children of Commander? <laughs> it, it's not a bad idea, but the person who's telling you it is almost always telling you that from a kind of disingenuous place as well. Mm. Like it's very rarely meant in sincerity, I feel. It's correct. You probably should think of the children when you do most things and be aware of that. And you probably most of the time should run raw removal. But that's not really the point that's being made when someone complains about a super powerful card being put into the format. The, the point is it's going to alter things regardless of how much removal you run. And, and I think the answer sometimes when people tell you that, the, the person telling you that isn't necessarily sincere when they say it. They are just looking for a way to dismiss your complaint. Now, we have the whole thing. We've talked about this before in the past. Commander players love to complain, and there's plenty of cards that mm. they act like are going to be the end of the format that wind up not being that. So there's a lot of things at play here. It's very complicated. But run more removal, in my experience, isn't always necessarily meant to be a, a serious rebuttal. Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely say that the times that I've seen I think one of the things that rubs me the the wrong way most about when I see those arguments is just like the timing always seems wrong. Like I've seen people talking about like their Janky Thalids deck, for example, or their Unicorns deck, and they're specifically asking for advice about how to stay in their game plan and actually like make the deck work without like without suffering the theme of the deck too much. And then people will swoop in with a bunch of really, uh, Jim, as you said, unhelpful comments about just like, oh, well, if your deck folds to a single card, it's not a very good deck, is it? You're not optimizing, yada, yada, yada. And it's just like, the discussion wasn't about that. The discussion was about thematic immersion. And so your theme deck isn't built very optimally. Is like not a very slick take in that instance. Right. Um, and it also often like conflates into a lot of other stuff that I find like like for instance I once shared a story on the onlines about how I was playing my commander commander deck in which every card in the deck has to say the word commander on it so it's a lot of backgrounds a lot of familiars a lot of stuff that depends upon the commanders being in play and it's a very silly deck and I was playing that deck and literally it it, it was so funny to me because turn to an opponent dropped a Dranith Magistrate, which prevents me from ever casting my commanders. <laughs> and like, to, to me, I'm just like, lol, uh-oh. Like, to me, that's absolutely hysterical. And so I share this story online because I'm like, here's my deck that completely cares about just, just having the commanders in play. These familiars and stuff don't do anything. If like my backgrounds are completely dead now, if I can't cast these, uh, whatever. But uh, the number of people who swept in is just like, why do you want this card banned? Like, just play removal. Have you never heard of removal? And I'm just like, I didn't bring up banning. Like, th those are not words I said. Those are words you said. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say any of those words. I'm just sharing a funny story that I thought was hilarious. And and I think that maybe you need to revisit your media comprehension abilities a little bit <laughs> if I'm going to be a bit sassy about it. Um, but, but yeah, it's just the, the number of times that people will reach for that argument as like the extreme endpoint is just like, okay, whoa, maybe that's not what we were actually talking about. And so that's what rubs me the wrong way most is that I feel like it is evoked in times where it's just like, that's not, that's not the point of the discussion we were having though. Yeah. And like, you know, there, it, it, it also kind of, I think presupposes that you don't already know that, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, so I, I think that there's, there's like a weird disconnect specifically in commander where people kind of deliberately build suboptimally in a lot of different ways in a lot of like commander like you could you could potentially look at commander as a way 
of like making creative suboptimal choices that make the game more interesting than they would be if you had made mm. less creative, more optimal choices in a lot of ways. If you're not playing CEDH, you are by definition building suboptimally. Sure. Like you can always you can always take that, you know, why aren't you playing this and not that? You can take that to the nth degree and end up mm. with a CEDH deck, right? That that is the process of building a CEDH deck is why am I playing this and not that? Mm. But when I'm building like like the show he says when you've got a theme deck, I've got a Saskia deck where all of the the uh, creatures, the power and toughness equal adds up to seven because it's a wild pair deck, right? Hmm. And people are like, well, what if you don't draw a wild pair? You should be playing Academy Rector. I'm like, does Academy Rector's power and toughness equal seven? Right. No, then I'm not playing it in the deck. Like, I know it would make the deck better. I'm not an idiot. Like, <laughs> I have two eyes in a heartbeat and I know what Academy Rector does, you know? Like, but so it, it's that kind of, first of all, it's like an implication that, you know, you've got this savior coming in and giving you this like unsolicited advice saying like, you know, hey, if you were to run more removal, then you would avoid this problem entirely. And it's like, okay, well, you haven't really assessed the problem correctly and the solution that you've offered doesn't get us there. <laughs> yeah. And and I, mm, uh, th th this is where I start to, I'm, ooh, do I bring this up? I don't know if I bring, I'm bringing it up now. Um, <laughs> I, I worry that this criticism kind of comes from two different audiences. There's like the people who do play commander who will offer this criticism, feedback, whatever. And then there are also the people who don't play commander and who mm -hmm. I, I think kind of resent that commander has become a primary focus of Wizards of the Coast design spaces these days and kind of use that as a reason consciously or subconsciously to talk down about commander players who they view as being a little too casual and not playing the game well, or, or I'm not sure if I'm wording that, I really don't know, but I, I do see that a lot. And I'm, I just find it very unnecessary because it's not like commander players were asking for Wizards of the Coast to do this. Like, yes, the products do sell, but like commander players have also been very vocal that we didn't want Wizards to design for us. <laughs> like, um, but but there are a lot of people who I used to follow who I thought were extremely insightful. And then after a short time, they made their entire brand just crapping all over casual players. And I'm just like, oh, that's very disrespectful. That's I, I don't like that. But a lot of that attitude seems to come through. And I think that part of this the ease of people grabbing that argument seems to stem from a piece of that. Um, whether the person plays commander or not, it's a very easy thing to like try and look like the smartest person in the room. And I just don't think that that's a very helpful way to actually go about things. And if we want to dig a little bit, and obviously the numbers don't represent every person's individual deck, but like in the aggregate, the, the second most popular green card in Commander's Beast Within, Removal Spell. Yeah. Number one and number two in red are both removal spells, Chaos Warp and Blasphemous Act. Two of the top five in black are removal spells, Delusion and Feed the Swarm. Um, in blue, <laughs> Counterspell is one, Rift is two, Negates five, Arcane Denial is six, yep. Swan Songs eight, and Guardianship is ten. Um, Swords and Path are one and two in white, and Generous Gift is five. And if you go to Multicolor, Nine of the top 10 spells in multicolor are removal spells. There you go. Now, not everyone's individual deck is doing that. Like, you know, if you're playing a mono green deck and you're running Beast Within, well, you might not have a bunch of other options there. And, and you know, maybe your black deck is running those two spells and nothing else. Like, there's plenty of decks, I'm sure, that are like that. But I, on average, I think people are running a fair share of removal spells. Maybe they could use one more in the deck, but is that one more removal spell going to solve the problem? Statistically speaking, no. The, the odds of them having that one extra spell in their hand at that moment yeah. is pretty slim. If, they, if they've got nine, is 10 going to change the face of how the deck plays? Probably not. 
it's a hundred card singleton format. Sometimes you don't draw it. It's fine. Yeah. And, and that's the thing for me. Like five of the top 10 spells in the entire format are removal spells. That's not an accident. And also like if we're talking about like, oh, just play more, more removal. The number of things that die to removal include, but are not limited to everything. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's not a very helpful way to think. But not only that, you're not the only person who plays removal. The person whose stuff you would remove, they also play removal. Everyone's playing removal. Like, that's just, we know. Like, interaction is not a thing that we've never heard of. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. And, like, I think that there's maybe a misconception over, like, <laughs> over how games play out, too. Because I, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but have you ever been in a in a game where, like, wraths happen, like, every third turn? Mm, yes. <laughs> the game just takes three and a half hours. And by yes. the end of it, everybody's just like, can we go to bed? Like, can we go to bed already? Like, I'm done with this. It's a, <laughs> the game is not progressing. So I think that, like, it's, it's sort of like a... What do they call it? It's tragedy of the commons, right? What was tragedy of the commons? That's about neglect. But it's sort of the idea where if you extrapolate your own personal behavior into everybody's behavior, what does the environment that you're in look like, right? Mm. If everybody, you know, flicks their cigarette butts onto the street, you end up with a street covered in cigarette butts. And similarly with commanders, if everybody, you know, goes past that critical mass of removal in their deck, games just become like tempo grindfests. And it's just kind of a miserable environment to play in. So you also have to kind of be conscious of the environment that you're trying to cultivate. Yeah. Because it's it's really not as easy as saying everybody should do this. <laughs> the categorical imperative is what you're talking about there, right? Is that, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Conscient yeah. philosophy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and to like kind of just piggyback off of that, like 100% of the time, I would rather lose a good game than win a bad one. Right. And and that is like ultimately one of my like core, like I play this game with my family. I play this game with my mom. I'm not out here to like make it like the most optimized thing that anyone has ever seen because I would like to get invited back to Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> so 800, you know, removal spells all up in the deck, tons of board wipes and stuff like that's not the, the thing that I'm seeking. Um, it's just yeah but but when i say those words i'd rather lose a good game than win a bad one there are going to be a lot of people who are just like well what is even the point of playing if you don't want to win and again that's where we're talking past each other because i'm just like the game quality can be measured on many axes not just on winning the game that's not the only metric that i choose to use right like do you know that old adage of like people won't, won't remember what you said but they will remember how you made them feel that's kind of how i feel about games of commander i'm not going to remember who wins i'm going to remember whether we had a good time right and like like years ago i was in a, a, a beer league dodgeball league right it was super super fun and every once in a while you'd come across a team where like you know a person on the other team is just throwing the ball way too hard or they're like head hunting they're like trying to hit people in the head and it's like man, I get that we're trying to win here, but I got to go to work tomorrow. Like, I'm not going to get injured from this, you know? Yes, like, yeah. yes, clearly the point is winning, but also this is just a way for me to get off of my growing butt and, like, get some physical activity. I don't need to injure myself by doing this, you know? And, like, there, there is a point where a competitive attitude in a casual environment, and again, this I say this without any value judgment or anything like that, but there are like contexts where that type of behavior is appropriate and contexts where it's not. Mm -hmm. If you were playing in the national dodgeball championships, you may expect that behavior, right? That is how you win. That's how you make it to the, you know, national dodgeball championships. But, you know, that's the kind of thing where <laughs> you may have to have an aside with that person and say, Hey, I think we may might have a bit of a mismatch here where, you know, like I'm trying to win too, but, I got to go to work tomorrow. 
So for you specifically in your capacity on the rules committee, I'm curious when it comes to the banning of a hole breacher, for instance, or when it comes to the discussion that crops up around new stuff like Orcish Bowmasters, or when people talk about Iona's or, or Golos's, like, is there a point at which play more removal factors into that discussion, in your opinion, for banning of especially creature cards? Or is that really just not even a factor at all? Like, I feel like this could be useful insight for people about, like, how the actual workings, uh, how, how the mental workings go down in there. About, like, how, yeah, a thing that can be removed. Uh -huh. I mean, everything can be removed. But cre some creatures do still need to be banned, right? So, like, I feel like it could be helpful to discuss. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a few factors. I would definitely say I, I don't think anybody in the room is going to say play more removal. Uh, there might be like some shades of that, like, you know, our expectation is that players play some amount of removal and nobody's going to be dead in the water if this happens, right? That might be a, a, something that gets said. Mm. Or you might talk about like, does a creature protect itself? Or have you already received the benefit of the creature by the time, like, like Dockside Extortionist is a good example, right? Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, as if we needed to light the comments on fire <laughs> anymore, <laughs> let's talk about Dockside Extortionist. Um, like you can play removal for Dockside Extortionist, but you've already received the benefit by the time it hits the board. So removing it doesn't really do a whole lot. Mm. Um, we can also talk about whether like front loading the effect on creatures via ETBs, which is definitely a trend in game design in Magic, whether it makes sorcery speed removal worse, right? Mm -hmm. Like if people were playing, like let's say you're playing an enchantment deck, most of your removal is going to be on sorcery speed removal spells. Um, you know, most cards that come out of standard. There's lots of sorcery speed removal spells that come out of standard that are decently efficiently costed. Um, it, if it makes those cards worse, then maybe in environments where people are primarily playing with cards that just rotated out of standard, maybe those cards are a little bit better um, if, if they front load the effect on ETBs. Um, you might talk about whether something has inherent protection like uh, Hexproof or Shroud or Ward or whether um, you know a Iona on the ban list is an example where it just shuts down an entire color. Same mm -hmm. with um, Void Winnower or you know any uh, what's the one? Uh, there's a Selesnia one. Arcana of Valor. Yeah, that's the one. But those those kind of have like built-in protection mm -hmm. um, where you say like you know it, it'll shut down one aspect or one way of interacting with it. Those have a higher potential to completely shut out a deck from being able to interact with them. Right. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of cards where you might say, well, play more removal doesn't really, you know, uh, help me much if I'm playing a mono black deck and the Iona player names black. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I just can't do anything. I guess I could run all his dust as or like, you know, unstable obelisk as a hedge against that. But do I really want to do that? Or do I just want to maybe say if people cast Iona, then I guess I just lose. I just scoop, you know. So, you know, there are there are kind of shades of that argument. I think that dies to removal is is really, really reductionist, but there are some other things that you can say that are kind of adjacent to that that are a little bit more helpful. Um, and they generally all focus on the experience of the people in the game. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is the problem that we're actually trying to solve for? And then what is a helpful question to ask or helpful piece of advice for that? Or what is our reasonable expectation for player behavior? Nice. Okay. Yeah. I think that's very helpful. Uh, I also am interested in getting your perspective on, like, because you run the gamut from, like, CEDH to silly jank decks 
all the time. So I'm like very curious for your uh, interpretation of the amount of interaction that you play in each of those different sides of the spectrum. But, and Dana's going to hate me for this, before we get to that part of the show, I think we should pause to challenge the stats because Dana hasn't stolen that segue from me. And I waited too long. Yes, you did. And so that means I get, I think, like my third, my second and a half segue of the year. <laughs> it's July. You got, you got it. You, we'll, we'll allow it. Yeah. You were just being polite because we've got a guest on. I was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't want to step on your toes there, Joey. Sorry, boy. Yeah. No, uh, Jim, it'll be August by the time this one comes out. And I still have only gotten like two, maybe three of the segues <laughs> into this segment. It's bonkers how much they've made this a mission. All right. Yeah. We, there, there's a lot of data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. So we'd love to challenge those stats. We'll be right back after a quick break. So my challenge this week is a relatively new card for a brand new deck. Uh, Commodore Guff is a new commander we are just getting. Mm. Um, and one card that didn't show up in the Commodore Guff list, and that's a, a commander that is heading a Planeswalker deck, is a recent artifact, Glistening Sphere. <laughs> um, it's it's only showing up in about 5% of the Guff decks we already have, um, and it did not show up in the precon. But it's also not showing up in very many Super Friends decks in general. Glistening Sphere is a 3-mana artifact. It ETBs tapped, which isn't ideal. But when it comes into play, you proliferate. And you can tap it to add one man of any color. And it also has corrupted, but like that's not going to be very relevant very often. The proliferate, however, is the ability to play a mana rock that just puts an extra counter on all of your Planeswalkers in a deck that cares about Planeswalkers. That's massive. I don't think people who play Planeswalker decks quite realize how powerful it is to change the math on when you will be able to hit those ultimate abilities. Mm. Um, and Commodore Guff is a deck that doesn't have access to green, so you have to ramp with mana rocks anyway. Why not ramp one that lets you change when you are able to hit those backbreaking abilities when people think they have more time to breathe? So they will see your deck, think, okay, I've got two turns till I can deal with that thing. I will find a way next turn to poke through. You just change that by dropping Glistening Sphere. And it's a mana rock that you can use anyway. Um, it just should see more play in, in Guff decks for sure, but that's a new new Planeswalker, or excuse me, a new commander. So if you are playing any Super Friends deck for the most part, you probably should be giving Glistening Sphere a look. There's just not much downside to it, and the ability to change that math is super powerful in those decks. Man, three mana mana rocks. <laughs> they, they've, yeah. they've got some punch, we keep saying. All right, I'll move on to our listener-submitted challenge for the week, and this comes to us from one of our listeners in our Patreon Discord, Joe Douglas, who would like to talk about a card for Agruscos Eternal Soldier, specifically looking at the card Fraying Line. This one is pretty silly, but I'm honestly all about it now that I've understood how the interaction works. Fraying Line is a weird artifact from the Baldur's Gate set, and I'll admit, it's a little bit silly. It's only showing up in like 2,000 decks total right now. When Fraying Line enters the battlefield, you put a rope counter on target creature you control, and at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player may pay two mana, and if they do, they put a rope counter on a creature they control, and otherwise, you exile Fraying Line and each creature that doesn't have a rope counter on it, and then you remove all of the rope counters from all creatures. This is a four mana artifact. It's a little bit silly of a minigame, not necessarily always reliable, and the fact that you aren't always in control of it, I can see why it hasn't super caught on. But in that Agrus 
Coast Eternal Soldier deck. That actually is very funny synergy because a Groose Coast has that ability. Whenever a Groose Coast Eternal Soldier becomes the target of an ability that only targets it, you can pay two mana and copy that ability for each of your other creatures. So when you play Fraying Line and pay that extra two, all of your stuff is saved by the rope. And then your opponents are like, ah, heck, what do I do now? Like, when do I let this go? And Joe Douglas, I think that's really silly. Like, this, this is a fun way to do some removal. So I'm all about this one. Well done. This is a sick challenge. This is like the type of card that you find when you're like, 2,800 cards deep in a Scryfall search for a really generic yeah, right. You're searching like yeah. target creature or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's only showing up in 21% of the 700-ish Coast decks out there. I think that this one deserves a look if you're playing with it. This seems like a really fun synergy that's going to make your opponents go, ah, dang it. Like, And that's exactly what this game's all about. Uh, Jim, do you want to round us out? Oh boy, I got a good one. And uh, again, if we weren't, if we weren't uh, dropping hot enough takes... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my pick is Tarnished Citadel. Uh, this is a land, uh, and it's not a particularly good one. And when I say <laughs> that, I'm talking specifically in the context of CDH decks, where it is almost exclusively played. Uh, this is a land that taps for one colorless mana, or it has another ability where you can tap it to add one mana of any color, but it deals three damage to you. So it's like... If you added a City of Brass plus a Mana Confluence plus uh, another third one, yeah, uh, that's this. It is so much life to pay for mana fixing, and like you know, if if I could understand it in five decks, which I might be able to, it's played in Najila quite frequently. What I cannot understand is when people play it in three color decks and less. Uh, I'm looking at the EDA direct page right now. It is played in 20.68% of Ishai Tevesh decks. That's a three color Esper deck. Mm. Uh, 20.68% of those decks, uh, 12% of Ishai Jeska decks, 11.9% of Tevesh Timna decks. People stop playing this land in your two and three color decks. It is just not worth it. A basic is going to be worth way more if you run into land hate, and it is never going to be worth this, especially if you're playing a black deck where you're probably playing ad nauseum and your life total is relevant. You're not going to want to take three mana for mana or three damage for mana fixing. Oh, that's a good point. Ad nauseum is going to be huge on that. Oh, yeah. Yep. Every time you tap, tap this, it costs you three cards off ad nauseum. Think of it that way. This is one of those cards that I would all, oftentimes see in CDH lists and be like, that doesn't seem like a good value in this two or three color deck, but I'm probably missing something because I don't know enough of the interactions. Yeah. Like, there's probably some reason for this that I'm not getting, so I'll just assume that there's that that it's there. But if if there isn't, it's people are just using it for color fixing and willing to pay that price. That seems like a relatively steep price to be paying every turn, particularly since in the last few years it seems like we've seen a rise of at least a few more combat oriented CEDH decks, at least more than there felt like there was, you know, three or four or five years ago which makes that life total even more relevant. Yeah, and like most of the time, so most of the time people play it because the flexibility is important when you're trying to hit multiple colored pip spells early in the game. First three turns of the game, you want to make sure that your lands tap for your colors. But if you're in a two-color deck, like a basic is going to do that for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's it's a basic. They they tend to be quite good um, under, especially under like Blood Moon, Back to Basics, all that kind of stuff. Nice. Well, I mean, as long as we're here talking about the competitive end of the format, uh, l let's get back around to the main topic with regards to that. Like, Jim, when it comes to your sillier, your casual, your very, very social decks versus, I mean, you're from the Spike Fitters channel. We know you do the competitive EDH. Um, like, the level of interaction that you run in either of those decks, what does that difference look like? And more importantly, what does the difference feel like to you? 
Well, I have to say, like for for more casual decks, when I build them, especially to play for content. So you know, um, I, I'm not I'm not sure how much you talk to your guests about like what the expected environment is going to be on on like EDA Trickcast stream. Hmm. Like, do you have a pregame discussion? I'm going to turn it around on you. Do you have a pregame yeah. discussion about over what types of decks that you want to play on the show? Uh, we do. It I will admit is kind of informal. We generally like ask the guests what it is that they would want to play, and then we'll shape it around that. Um, we're honestly the metric that we tend to use most is just like about what turn do you expect that deck is meaningfully trying to win? Because if someone's sure. coming in here like, oh, this deck's going to win on turn six, we're like, all right, we're going to be prepared for that. I'm gonna pack my Sir Conrad. Um, but if someone's just like, I just bought this precon and I've switched like three cards, we're going to be like, all right, that sounds more of a, a thing. So it doesn't tend to be removal as a centerpiece of that discussion. It tends to be more like expected game length is a, a point of that discussion. Yeah, so I'd say like when I built casual decks for content. Um, environments like if I'm playing on camera, if I'm playing, you know, uh, you know, for our show or something like that. If I'm playing mm-hmm. a casual deck, I'm usually thinking more about the exciting things that can happen. Because um, kind of like you, you said before, like nobody will remember what you said, but they remember how you say it. People don't often remember things that don't happen. If that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like nobody is ever going to remember like somebody casts a threat and then I remove it immediately. That's not a memorable experience, <laughs> but if I like play a splashy thing and do something really big with it, people remember that forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, generally speaking, when I'm trying to like build a deck that I think is going to be exciting for somebody to watch, um, I'm focusing more on things like how can I avoid monopolizing the playtime if I have to take a lot of game actions, right? Like what are easier ways that I can track things or like what can I cut from the deck if it's not adding action, but it is adding time? What can I cut from the deck there? Um, and removal kind of falls into that category. Like decks have to have removal, obviously, but in my casual decks, I tend to lean towards um, does the removal fit my theme? Uh, so like I've got uh, I've got a, a rule zero deck with the Ozolith as the commander, right? Mm-hmm. And so the removal that I play in that deck, um, I play, uh, uh, what's the deadly Rollick? I play that because I think it's funny to have that online on turn one. Cause my commander costs one. Um, but aside from that, I'm playing like unexpected fangs, mm-hmm. which is like, it's a combat trick that gives you creature plus one plus one and death touch, but it's a death touch token. And so it interacts with my commander. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't really care if I block with my one, one creature, I'm probably wanted it to die anyway. It's going to put a death touch counter on my commander, the Ozolith. Right. Um, so generally speaking, the removal that I run, if I can't find removal that either like directly synergizes or does something cute and clever with my commander, then I'll just skip it and just focus on doing something exciting instead of policing the board. And I'll let somebody else police the board. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it gets tricky because like I, I tend to try to balance my decks because how you build and want a deck to play out on a stream isn't necessarily the way I want a deck to play out in an LGS or something because you're playing with usually other content creators with a shared goal of making for an entertaining environment. And everyone's usually on board with that and kind of is is unofficially kind of working towards that same goal. Um, even if we don't maybe talk about it in those terms, you know, if, if we're sitting down and playing a game with Rachel on stream, mm-hmm. Rachel knows what's up. Like there, there, there's a shared understanding that we're, we're brewing and playing a certain way. And that doesn't necessarily translate to how I would be playing with friends or, or at an LGS or something. Like I probably don't want to tag someone's turn to commander on stream with a dark mutation. Right. Um, 
I'll absolutely do that to my friend Max. <laughs> for, like we're playing somewhere, <laughs> like I, I, you know, because we're going to play four games and there's nobody watching, and like yeah. you know, we're probably drinking at the same time, and like who knows what's happening? You know, he's he's somebody that I see four times a week, so like it's a friend of mine. There's there's different. You, you you kind of are playing for different audiences, so I tend to try to split that difference. Um, but like we've talked about this on stream, Joey. All of us, you know, say three years ago, used to run probably on average, what, three board wipes per deck. Mm-hmm. And after playing so much on stream for COVID, we all tailed that back. I, I dropped down to one or two, and most of my decks I'm looking at one, from from three at least in all of my lists because it didn't make for great stream games, like you said, Jim, to just stretch that out into a three-hour game that isn't very fun for people to watch. So, so that's something that that I've changed. I'm running less removal, quote-unquote, because there's such, like you said, situations where it doesn't make for a better game to run more removal sometimes. The the thing that I've noticed transforming in my own decks, and this is something I tackled a little bit in a, a video that I did on this channel a, a short time ago called Wrath of Good Stuff, um, which I, I was really proud of the thumbnail too, by the way. People should go check it out. It was very fun. Um, but it, it especially hit me that the board wipes that I play have become one of the, Jim, like you were saying, with the different thematic elements to removal, that has been especially true of the board wipes that I play. Like playing cards in my Yannette deck, like Promise of Loyalty is a five mana board wipe that would let my Yannette live. So I'm really enjoying it there. Or I use Vanquish the Horde in that deck because it has a high mana cost and therefore it can be weaponized in that deck. Even though it doesn't have an odd mana cost, it has a high mana cost that I can use when I try to win with one of my favorite things in that deck, which is Baneful Omen or Keen duelist Hmm. um or in my barakos deck i've got that uh i think it's stick together which is like a one-sided board wipe unless you have a party and so that is thematically relevant there in my felice deck i don't just play regular wrath of god anymore i haven't played a wrath of god in any of my decks in like ages but what i do play are things like elspeth which can wipe the board but which can also make me a lot of tokens Uh and those are the more entertaining things for that i think to, to give some credit to the people who do find some frustration with commander players when we do like get bombastic about like oh x card is going to ruin a bunch of stuff I, I i will say that there are moments where i'm like yes commander players probably could to stand a little bit more removal because i think the reason that we probably cut removal is when those removal spells don't have those fun thematic hooks into our deck and because like path to exile is just path to exile that's not nearly as much fun to play in my barakos deck as like dispatch is because that has a a connection to the commander making a bunch of treasure tokens that one feels like more fun to actually play i'm not going to cut path to exile but the fact that it almost sticks out like a sore thumb compared to all of the other cards that have all these branching synergies in the deck it does make me feel like about that card and i shouldn't feel about that card because like yes i do need it uh but but like yeah to that's just the thing I want to put out there is like the way that I see my removal transforming is that like I try to give it those thematic hooks into the rest of the deck. So when they don't, I feel like that subconsciously makes me want to cut those cards, even though I, I shouldn't. But maybe some players do. And that is a thing that we shouldn't do. We shouldn't allow ourselves to always cut cards just because they're not thematic. Sometimes you do just need those efficiencies if you are actually going to stay in the game and making it and, and make it a meaningful, interactive, enjoyable game for everyone, too. Well, like for every situation where I've taken a deck about like, I just don't need three board wipes here because it slows things down too much. There's another situation where I've looked at a deck and, and felt like, you know what, three weeks in a row I've played this deck and I felt like I was just slightly short on the amount of answers I should have. 
So what I probably need to do is add more card draw so I can draw them faster. I'm not going to add more removal. I'll just add more card draw. But that's my solution to everything. <laughs> I was going to say. But functionally, it's kind of the same thing. I'm trying to get to the card draw. <laughs> I'm trying to get to the answers. But no, but no, sometimes I will add more answers too. Like sometimes I, I, I have definitely gotten that vibe from a deck that I felt like it needed more ways to solve problems and I've added ways to solve problems. Like I'm not saying that that's never, ever true because it's absolutely true sometimes. Yeah. Like I, I – Joey, you mentioned a few of your like thematic ones. I have a bunch of really awesome ones too. Like, oh yeah, um, I, I play Annex and Zymede along with like maybe five dozen other people in the world. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a um, and Fell the Mighty, which is uh, destroy all creatures with uh, power tar- greater than target creature's power. Yeah. So like, first of all, it's a token go wide deck, and it uses Annex and Zymede to buff the team. So um, I make a bunch of tokens. I cast Annex and Zymede target NX inside with a bunch of stuff. It buffs all my tokens and then I attack in. So Fell the Mighty actually does a bunch of things. It says kill everything that's uh, smaller than a three drop or a three, three power creature, mm. which is usually everything in my deck. But it also targets NX inside me. So after the board wipe resolves, or sorry, before the board wipe resolves, it buffs my entire team. Nice. <laughs> because it targets NX inside me and triggers heroic. Um, so things like that. I've got a council of four deck that I, uh, tend to force feed people a lot of cards and, uh, I play fateful absence, which is great. It's instant speed removal, but it forces the controller to investigate, which means that they're going to, uh, make a clue. And at some point down the road, they're going to draw a card, which is going to trigger the council of four. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, so again, like, is it the best removal? No. Could I be playing path or swords instead? Of course. Right. Of course I could, I could be playing all of the best removal spells, but I would rather give somebody a clue and end up with a card at the end of it, it's proactive, right? It's not always subtractive from the game. It's it's additive in terms of resources to the game, which helps things to kind of move along. Now, of course, that can hit a critical mass of makes the game miserable as well. But um, I found that that's one of the reasons why people criticize white so much is that so many of the things that white does are subtractive from the game. Sure. Things like balance effects, cataclysm, all of those things, like they take resources away from people. Whereas, you know, everybody, like a, a collective voyage or something, everybody searches for three lands, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's additive to the game. It, it like pushes it forward towards its rev- resolution. So yeah, I don't know. When I'm looking for, for removal like that, I'll definitely pay attention to that as well. Anything that destroys something, they get something. That, that I really like what that does to games. Yeah, yeah. And so to bring it around to one more thing where I do want to give like there are a lot of demerits to the conversation of just play more removal. And like, I don't think we've uh, been particularly impressed by a lot of the times that we've seen that argument crop up in the conversations. But to give one more merit to that conversation, I do definitely think that we've all encountered, quote, that guy in, in our games before, where like you kill their commander or their enchantment or something, and then they get all huffy. And and like I think that that's also a certain type of perception that like the people have encountered that before, and they kind of like will broadly apply that to a lot of commander players. When it's just like thing is, I've encountered that guy in one-on-one games too. Like maybe just people who are salty exist all across the Magic: The Gathering spectrum is just my take. Um, but we have all certainly seen it, and so like there there is a a hardiness sometimes that i think uh is uh necessary it's just like yes there is a reasonable expectation of removal and in fact there's a reasonable expectation of people playing like tamio safekeeping into fairy's protection all these step dodge cards i mean heroic intervention hugely popular cards um but but we all have certainly encountered 
that guy who gets like really annoyed whenever you remove the stuff and it's just like no nah, removal is going to be a part of every game you play buddy so like i'm i'm not gonna buy your salt necessarily so i think it extends even beyond just that guy though like Tulane is going to win you the game if it resolves and you're able to play magic right <laughs> like you're just gonna accrue so much value that we will lose so i have to remove Tulane. And then three turns later, you'll play Tulane again, and I have to remove Tulane. And let's say I have those answers. Let's say I've built enough removal into my deck that I can respond to your Tulane whenever it hits the field. Even if you're the nicest person in the world who doesn't get remotely, salt, remotely salty about that, that's not a good experience either. To have a card that has to get answered every single time it hits the field, even if your attitude is fantastic, mm. that doesn't create a good play pattern necessarily. So like run more removal might solve the problem of the card generating infinite value, but it doesn't solve the problem of the fact that it, again, doesn't make for very good interaction and gameplay. Yeah. In, in our play group, we used to call that the Kalia problem. Perfect example. Um, because it's, you know, it hits the board and it's it's super, super binary, right? It either hits the board, you allow it to attack, and the Kalia player runs away with the game. They end up just getting value, 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 value. Um, or you know, you counter it. And my, my favorite, <laughs> one of the, the pieces of tech that I brought in to play against Kalia in our playgroup, this is like pre-spike feeders, um, when Kalia was a bit more of a boogeyman, um, <laughs> was Perplex. Oh, yeah. Demir Counterspell, where it's a counter-target spell unless they discard their hand. <laughs> and I'm like, that's fine. You can have your Kalia, but you can't have anything to put into play with it. Oh, if man. you want your Kalia that bad, that's great. And if you want to wait and hard cast your spells, that's cool too, but I have a Perplex in my hand. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, I think that raises a really good point, Dana, is that like the run more removal argument does solve like the immediate problem that's in front of you. But the problem that's like bigger and looming behind that is you're playing in an environment where removal is becoming more necessary. And that may be a bigger problem for your playgroup that you need to confront head on rather than just trying to solve it with in-game pieces. Mm. Um, social problems don't get solved with game actions, right? If you if a person in your group is not getting with the power level that you want to play at, you got to talk to them. Because if you metagame against them and you say, I'm going to play more removal and make my deck more effective against theirs, um, they're going to turn around and say, now this is a more challenging environment. If that may be what they're wanting, right? Sure, if right. they want that, then they're going to ratchet it up to the next level. And then you end up in this sort of self-propagating situation. Um, you know, people call it the arms race, people call it whatever. Um, but, it, you know, one thing that I hear, I actually heard Shivam say this once, where he says, it's not so much that I don't want to play stacks. It's not that I don't like playing stacks. It's that I don't want to play an environment where I have to play stacks to meaningfully contribute to the game. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the environments where you have to really think about, like, are my plays card advantage positive or negative or neutral? Like, who is this affecting more at the board? Like, if I play a Winter Orb, is that going to affect the Azusa player more or is it going to affect the, the Xur player more, right? Um, if I just don't want to think about those things when I'm playing Magic, then, you know, telling me to run Interaction or Stacks or Counterplay or whatever, it, it's not a good solution for me to do. Like, it, it, it's, yeah. So, I, I don't know. It, when, when somebody gets upset when you're targeting their stuff, there may be a social problem that's going on there that may kind of present itself whether or not you're targeting their stuff. It, it may manifest in a lot of different ways. And, and I, I like especially what you said there, that there's a, uh, it feels as though like more of the removal is sort of necessary given like the way that design is going these days. They're making some truly bonkers things that give you such immediate value. Like the moment that they hit the field, it's like, holy crap 
crap these cards are push and like we definitely notice that and so I, I do tend to notice that it's just like you know what i the number of pinpoint removal spells i have in my deck probably does need to go up a, a little bit more just like i think even the command zone has been um on this for a little while where they they generally advocate for like two or three board wipes and then seven plus pieces of pinpoint interaction um which i don't know that that number is going to be different for everyone i don't find anything particularly prescriptive like if your commander is something like alibu or whatever like that's already removal on a stick right there so like it can certainly be flexible any which way but like i don't know there's there's a reason that they they don't advocate for 25 percent of the deck to be removal spells the way that a standard deck would or that like esper control would be in, in, in different uh formats you know like half the cards in, in your hand at any given time are not going to be a swords to plowshares uh your, your opponents are always going to be doing something broken so you should have something hopefully that can stop but you also do have other opponents who can potentially help you on that um but yeah the, the fact is that like commander is getting a lot more like whew, pushed these days and so having a bit more does not hurt but even then the play more removal argument i think it's a good lesson but it's not a good argument in any given conversation and that's ultimately where i fall it's just like it's a good thing to keep in mind but that doesn't mean that it can be used to i don't know whenever i see it i'm just like people people are bringing that energy to a place where i'm just like that's not what we're talking about you can't win a conversation what are you doing <laughs> so like it can be a good lesson but a bad argument <laughs> that's where i ultimately fall <laughs> well I, I also think joey to your point about them creating bombs the bombs they create tend to be things that need to be answered and not necessarily answers. Yes, there's, you know, your Assassin's Trophy that's a recent card or if you're Guardianship or something, mm -hmm. but for every one of those, there's 10 things that present a problem for every one that solves a problem. Uh -huh. and, and if you go through and look at, you know, most commander lists, they are filled with, with creatures in enchantments and artifacts from the last recent frame of magic's history and you're looking at a bunch of removal spells from way back in the day you know same thing with counter magic you know swords of postures is an old card at this point path to exile is a very old card yeah counter spell arcane denial like a lot of negate those have been around forever there's there it's it's much easier for them because of how the game was designed early on but with how they design it to make it enjoyable for folks as well the things they tend to push and to make as threats um, are, are things that are offensive, and they don't tend to print nearly as many defensive responses mm. that are going to be able to go in your deck to keep up with that increasing amount of threats. I think that you nailed it. In the CDH world especially, one thing that you find, decks tend to be slow to react to threats, especially new threats, by you know playing more tailored removal. One, one metagame shift that has happened recently is that a lot more threats are coming on creatures um, than on spells. Hmm. So it used to be that people would play less expensive interaction, things like you know Chain of Vapor, Dispel, Red Elemental Blast, all of these like one-mana answers for a lot of you know common problems like ad nauseum and that kind of thing but then when they when the threats start coming on creatures like dockside extortionist orcish bowmasters all this kind of thing people tend to be less um they're they're a little bit more reluctant to shift towards creature removal or creature even like a specific creature counterspell or something like that even like blue elemental blast for dockside extortionist jessica's will mm -hmm. a bunch of things like that because one of the most effective ways that you can play against a fast strategy is to be faster. <laughs> yeah. And because they're printing so many more aggressive threats, that that tends to be the more attractive way to deck build if you're trying to metagame against that kind of strategy. So rather than saying, 
oh, my friend plays Coma or whatever, and it's it's impossible to to win if I don't remove it immediately. I better stock exile removal. You can just say, oh, I better win the game before they're able to cast Coma. <laughs> and that creates an entirely different problem in a lot of play groups. Not that it's universally bad, but it can cause a different problem when people react that way rather than saying, I'm going to counter what you're doing. They just say, I'm going to make what I'm doing more effective. I mean, one of the first lessons that I played when starting to game a whole bunch of against one Mr. Dana Roach was that uh, that boy loves to use his life total to draw cards. Mr. Knight's Whisper, Mr. Sylvan Library over there. So I better attack him first all the time. Sure. sure. <laughs> because like his, his life total's going to be used as a resource more than anyone else that I play against. So I'm going to make him pay for it. I'm, I'm going to make him pay for for that properly. No, it hasn't no stopped me from doing that at all. No, it has not. <laughs> but that's fine too, you know? Yeah. But yeah, no, definitely. Like, like you can you can figure out ways to adapt to what's going on. But like, like I said, I, I haven't stopped doing that. I'm just like, okay, well, I need to find answers with my life total faster. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and I think ultimately what that comes down to is that like we are still creating an interactive game. Like, mm-hmm. it, it those those moments of tension are enjoyable. And uh, yeah, again, again with this, is just like there's a reason that I'm not playing 800 things of removal in my deck because like I do want to see people pop off. I want to stop them from going just quite there, but like I want everyone to have a good time. I want a quality, quality, quality game. Because again, I'm playing with my mom. Like I, I, I want to see her do stuff. I don't want her to kill me just yet because I, uh, like I'm no, I, I want to try and win that. But like I, I don't want to just like like you were saying earlier, Jim, just wrath the board a whole bunch so that I can find my optimal moment. Like, no, like, let's have a, it's going to be good stuff. Stuff's going to stick in play. Hopefully I'll have some times where I can deploy this at the right moment, that at the right moment. But like everyone getting to do something and using things like the combat step as a form of interaction, like those make for enjoyable experiences as well. And that's something that I prefer to harness. Yeah, I think like I would probably also say that like, there's there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to play that style, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm very vocal about the fact that like there's a playgroup for everybody out there. There's a playgroup for people that love playing chaos decks. There's like a bunch of stuff that I don't like. Like I don't like playing against super friends. I'm sure there's tons of playgroups out there that love playing against super friends. Mm-hmm. It's just like not something that I enjoy playing against. Um, that doesn't mean that you're wrong or bad for playing it. Um, and just like, you know, if I don't want to play more removal, it doesn't mean that you're wrong or bad for not wanting to play removal or for wanting to play more removal. It just means that the narrower your definition of fun is, the harder you have to work at finding people that line up with your expectations, right? Mm. So if I say the only games that I like playing are games that end before turn eight and I don't want to play against any stacks decks and all this kind of stuff, like that's fine. But like that's a long personal ad to write, right? It's just <laughs> like if you're, you know, if you're online dating or whatever and you're like, oh, I don't like people that do this and you know, you can only have these political views and you you know have to be you have to look this certain way or whatever the more specific you are the the narrower your dating pool is and similarly with commander if you've got a, like a list a laundry list of stuff where if this stuff doesn't go exactly right that i'm not going to have a good time then the pool of people that you're going to have fun playing against is just small it's just it's just a matter of math mm. but if you go into it, maybe like loosen up your expectations a little bit. This is maybe not good dating advice. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm not a dating expert, but um, if you loosen up your expectations a little bit and maybe broaden your definition of how what people can do, and you still walk away from the game having a good time, um, you'll you'll tend to have a better <laughs> experience, especially in 
Um, like we've called it in the past untrusted play, but I don't, I don't love that term, but like LGS or command fest or whatever, right. Mm -hmm. Get to know people's names, have fun, like find other ways to have fun that are not just like everything went exactly the way they wanted it in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So all of this is to say, um, when are you banning Orcish Bowmasters? Because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I wrote that announcement, um, and very specifically and very deliberately, I was like, you know, the, the the language that I used in it was lots of people are talking about this, and we acknowledge the fact that lots of people are talking about it, right? <laughs> um, like, it, it it's not an indication that we are planning on taking action or planning on not taking action. It's just like, yeah, people are talking about it. We don't ban cards right out of the gate, like, right? I know it, yes, like, comments are now currently typing Lutri, right? But, right. <laughs> like, but like, we don't ban stuff out of the gate. Hellbreacher was was legal for nine months, and that card was pretty egregious. Um, Paradox Engine was legal for like two years, <laughs> you know? Well, it, it, it was legal for a year, but like the turns took so long, it felt like two years. <laughs> <laughs> It's what we call paradox dilution right. in the physics community, you know? Oh my God, that's so funny. No, I also, I don't know if that, like, I feel like I actually do need to say this, that I was being sarcastic about my, my bringing, but I don't trust oh, yeah. that people will, I know you know. I don't, I've I don't already know made a YouTube post me. about it, Joey. I've already posted a comment about you're trying to get off orchestral master band. Oh, the funniest thing too is that I, like I wrote the announcement that way, and then the Reddit post was "Rules Committee is watching or Orcish Bowmasters." Right? Like, what? That's not what I said. <laughs> and and I guess honestly, so that's kind of it. Like the the just play more removal argument will never die, but like the inverse of that probably is that this needs to be auto banned. That also will never die, yes, but right, it needs yeah. to. Like, yeah. l- l- let's be real here. There are some sins that the commander community commits, and they do seem a little bit outlandish, and we do make fools of ourselves, and that is one of those ways that we, it's just like, all right, take a breath. There's a reason that the rules committee doesn't take immediate action like this. So, like, <sighs> like, like, yeah, there are ways that we look foolish. I just don't think that the removal argument is one of them. There are other ways that we make ourselves look foolish, and we can talk about those rather than talking past each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we like, I can give you a list. Next Bloom Ancient. Bootleggers stash. These oh, are yeah. like all cards that people like came to us and were like, "This this card needs to be banned." Like, <laughs> you can control F in the uh, the rules committee Discord server <laughs> and just see all of the things that everybody has asked us to ban. For every card that somebody has asked us to ban, somebody has asked us to not ban it. And then just like name a card and somebody has asked us to ban it. We, we had a whole episode about the sky is falling cards like Nick's Bloom Ancient where people are like, oh, there's no way. And it's just like you you look into, the, you know, a couple of months have passed and it's just like, oh, that card's actually not even shown up in all that many decks or whatever. Just a whole, whole bunch of those. The one I always think about was when I first started playing the, the, the big boogeyman in the game was Deadeye Navigator. And there was lots of demand to see Deadeye banned. Mm. And I legit don't know if I've seen that card on a table in a decade at this point like it might yeah, well it like though. legit may have been 10 years but i bet it's but i bet it's closing in an eight at the very least like that card just is is something that like went from being the scourge of the format to just not a card that sees much play at all like i, I find people especially are notoriously bad at assessing cards that they've never seen played or never played against or never played with or against personally mm-hmm. and you know, the, these pre-banning discussions are always going to be fruitless because like nothing is going to happen. I can tell you that with like a, a, nearly 100% confidence, like we're not pre-banning anything because like I want to play with this card and get a sense of what it does and what it doesn't do. I think there's these like stages where people look at a card and they have a gut reaction mm-hmm. and then they like play with the card and they actually understand how it works and they may, might get corrected on a ruling or something. 
And then there's like a couple months down the road where they realize that they missed something. Uh, and there's like a new revelation of information. <laughs> That's like the stage that we're looking to get to before we even seriously talk about it. Like if if it took professional players, professional magic players, you know, a, a window to realize how good Oko was or how good Hogak was. Right. And there was a window there after those cards were released before the, they became as powerful as they were. If, if it takes pro players to actually play with a card to actually realize how busted it is, odds are pretty low that like you have figured it out, <laughs> that you've <laughs> cracked that secret sauce. Yeah, like I'm not Sam Black. I'm not John Finkel. I'm like, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to look at these cards and write a, you know, a dissertation on what they do to the format. I would love to see people tell me what it does to the format. Tell me about like what it's happening in your games. Like, what does it make you feel when you see it played against you? Yeah. That's way more relevant than telling me what the card does or comparing it to other cards. And maybe Orcus Bowmaster in six months will look back and be like, that was a legit problem and it's going to probably get banned because it's causing so, so many issues in the game. But we haven't got there yet. Yeah, could be. So so let's let's see where it's at in six months and like let it let that play out. Some of these things just take some time to to actually come to a head. Yeah. Or or maybe it'll be a, a Draineth Magistrate. Yeah, or, exactly. Like, yeah. That that card's kind of annoying, but I've seen it ones of times. Yeah. You know, like and the time that it happened against me, honestly, it was against the deck that cared the most about command. And I, I genuinely still think that's extremely funny. <laughs> well, for the for the same reason that folks like maybe, hey, I maybe don't want to run 15 pieces of removal, even though it makes my deck better. There's plenty of situations where folks are like, oh, I don't want to run Draneth Magistrate because that's not the game I want to play. Yes. Yep. And not everybody's gonna do that, and nor, nor should you expect them all to. But like Jim was talking about finding that group that matches what you want, there, there's plenty of people that just don't want to play that kind of game. I have a mono red deck that does not have a blood moon. That's just not what I want to do in a sit down. Like the, the, the power level the deck plays at, it's not one that is looking to turn off people's lands. And if I was playing at a different power level, maybe I would. But like right. people make those conscious decisions both ways. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to uh, get at too, is that like Draneth Magistrate shows up in over a hundred thousand decks but if you look at its page they're all cedh decks like it that is yeah. commander's the place where cards do self-regulate a little bit about like where it is that people want them to show up and so like that is another tool that we have and mm -hmm. that's good to remember and rely on i will say i've started playing lightning bolt in my one drop I have, I have a deck that's all one drops and i play lightning bolt in this deck and let me tell you the number of times that i've got people who like <laughs> deliberately go down to three life or whatever and i'm just like getcha it's like <laughs> I'm, I'm really starting of thinking of running lightning bolt into in more decks just because of the getcha potential <laughs> like not because it's like efficient removal because it is but like sometimes you just get me i got sheldon last two weeks ago um i was i was down in florida visiting him and he literally said I'm going to go down to three life. What are the odds that somebody can deal me three damage? And I said, Sheldon, I have a mountain untapped, three cards in hand, and I'm telling you one of them is a lightning bolt. <laughs> and he said, I think you're bluffing. And he went down to three life and I killed him with lightning bolt. <laughs> I, I mean, I would say once per calendar year, I kill somebody with a sign of blood. Yeah. Like once a year. Yeah, it doesn't happen, you know, that. often, but like <laughs> once a year, someone will drop down to two for some reason. I'll be like, yep. how would you like to draw two cards? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a commander bucket list right there. Honestly, we need to make that an episode. Commander sure, bucket list yeah, items. Yeah, we should. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a show we need to do as well. All right. I, I, I think I've hit everything that I wanted to hit on this episode. But like, Jim, did you have any other final thoughts about the play more removal argument before we wrap up that, that you wanted to get out there into the universe? 
No, I think that like every every argument in Commander ultimately boils down to how much empathy you want to have for other people, right? You're mm. you're sharing time with people, you're like inviting people into your your figurative home. Um, when when it comes to if you're ever tempted to say, well, such and such dice removal, just like take a step back and think about whether that's the problem that people are trying to address. Mm. Are they trying to address the problem? I don't know how to make my deck better. Or I, you know, my deck is really bad in this specific situation and I need some advice. If that's what they're looking to solve, then play more removal might be the right answer. But I would say most of the time that's not the problem that people are expressing. They're they're more so saying, I'm frustrated because maybe the power level of my, my playgroup is too high. That's a social problem. Mm. Give them social answers. They might be saying, I'm frustrated because I really resonate with a particular theme or something like that, and I need a way to improve it while staying on theme. Or I maybe need some um, advice for some changes to make that uh, you know are going to make it less vulnerable or something like that. If they're focusing on theme, go with theme. They, like try and you know even ask follow up questions and say like what are you actually trying to accomplish here? Like what type of feedback are you looking for, or are you looking for feedback at all? <laughs> maybe you're just looking to vent. That's that's happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. As the parent of a teenager, one lesson I have absolutely learned is my son does not always want me to provide him with an answer to the thing he's complaining about. He just wants to complain about a thing sometimes. <laughs> so that's that's very true as well of Commander. Sometimes folks just want to get that thing off their chest and they're not looking for you to solve their problem. You know, the thing that I've noticed, particularly among older and more entrenched players, when they complain about things, oftentimes what they're really complaining about is the game is changing away from the game I used to play. Yes. Mm. Like you see that, <laughs> you see it in a lot of fandoms. You see a lot of people complaining about what Star Wars is now. Yes, for and sure. It's just like, yep. well, you know, <laughs> Star Wars is not what it used to be. It's not what it was in, you know, 1975 or whatever, right? Um, it has changed for a lot of good reasons. And a lot of it is because there's a lot of different people watching it these days. The target audience might have changed. Or it could be that you want it to be something that it's not, mm -hmm. right? And maybe this is less true in Commander, but we see this a lot in content. A lot of people that comment on our content and they say like, oh, you should have done this or this, this, you know, why are you playing this card in this deck? And a lot of the time it's deliberate choices that we've made, but they don't understand or won't understand that like what they want our content to be is not what we want our content to be. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the whole like, oh, I wish that Game Nights didn't have those cheesy cutaways to camera. And it was like, I got news for you, man. It's a <laughs> reality show, very deliberately by design. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it's popular, <laughs> you know? Yeah, Jim, to um, to hook back to something you mentioned about like empathetic responses being so much more effective, just I've, I've said before on this channel that like I noticed that some players would rather be good at a game than good to other people. And I think that blows. And that I also think that being good to other people is what actually makes you better at the game. Like, because then you're actually engaging with what it is that they're having an issue with or what it is that they're having that problem with. And that will actually help you find those more original solutions, for example. But also to hook into what you just said about like comments on content. There's a lot of urge, I think, for especially when it comes to like the way that people respond on this. Well, you should you should do this, or why aren't you playing X or yada yada? The the 
instinct to try and appear like the smartest person in the room is another thing that I also think makes you myopic. <laughs> um, it is also a thing that is going to prevent you from seeing what's actually at hand. And it doesn't mean that you're allowing yourself the room to imagine why did they do that that way? Because anytime that I've been like, uh, people are like, mm, I think that you made a, a big misplay here or whatever. It's just like, well, you can't see what's in my hand though. And like, I think you'd be better at the game if you took a moment to wonder, does he have a plan? What's going on there? Because mm -hmm. turns out I did. Turns out you just mm -hmm. didn't know what it was. And maybe I didn't get to the moment where I could pull it off. But like, I, I promise I'm, I, I know something about the game. And like, if you're imagining what is going on in my head, that makes you a more empathetic person and it makes you better at strategy. And those are the points where I think like that, that empathy is actually going to make you better at the game overall. And that's a more important lesson to me than anything. Yeah, like people use the term empathy quite frequently, like interchangeably with like a like a bleeding heart kind of attitude where you're like, mm. you know, uh, sobbing with somebody or something like that. And like that is that is one aspect of empathy. But empathy, in, you know, when you really like, you know, whittle it down, it's just like imagining what somebody's going through, imagining what somebody's thinking, imagining like putting yourself in their shoes. It doesn't have to be like I'm sitting there crying with you when you're mourning the loss of a loved one or something like that. It can just be like you've done something. Let's put myself in your perspective and imagine the type of scenario where that would be a rational or, or that would be a, like a decision that you would make or the decision that you would want to make. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, to your point, like it, it can be a very valuable skill in strategy games where you're just like, let's, let's like put my own, take my own hat off, put your hat on and say, why would you do that? Why would you say that thing that way? Why would you like play this card? It seems suboptimal. I know that you know that this is going on. Why would you do that? It's like, you know, if you were, uh, if you're attacking into like obviously unfavorable blockers, right? Where like mm -hmm. an opponent has a, a board full of one, one death touchers or something like that. And I'm attacking in with a board of four fours, right? If I'm the blocker there, if I'm the defender, I know something's up because that is mm -hmm. not favorable. I know you've got a combat trick, you're either gonna give them trample or whatever, or you're gonna like wipe the board after and you're just doing this because why wouldn't you do it, you know? But like, that's the empathy <laughs> is, yeah. why would you make the suboptimal decision? So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a, definitely a tangent, but um, empathy is a very valuable skill for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a good thing to practice and a nice note to to end on mm -hmm. as well, because we've been going long here and it's probably good to wrap up. And I guess the, the final thing that I'll say is that the you should play more removal argument probably dies to Doomblade. I think that that <laughs> argument just dies to Doomblade. <laughs> well played. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that, I think we will call this episode a close. So if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, uh, let them know where they can find you online. Jim, let's start with you. Well, if you'd like to find me on X, oh, no. I'm, uh, <laughs> oh, I felt dirty saying that. <laughs> right. Uh, basically, everywhere I'm Jim TSF. I'm on some of the new ones too. I'm on Blue Sky. Uh, I'm not on Threads. If you see somebody on Threads pretending to be me, it's not me. <laughs> uh, you can also reach me at the Spike Feeders on all those things or at the Spike Feeders at gmail.com if you want to email me. Not a great way to get a hold of me, though. Don't contact me on Facebook. People do that occasionally and it's always weird. Oh, it's so um, creepy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I have Facebook to like talk to my grandma and that's it <laughs> yep <laughs> love it and dana how about you you can find me online at dana roach whether it would be uh on the the x's or the blue skies 
Um, you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash idiotrackcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me somewhere at Joseph M. Schultz, probably. Uh, and you can find the cast at idiotrackcast on all those places. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at idiotrackcast at gmail.com. Our thanks will go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them being fabulous online at Mana Curves. Jim, we want to say thank you one more time for coming on the show. Thank you. This was a fabulous chat. We appreciate your time so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was super fun. And uh, listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more Dana and in- with more data <laughs> and insights. Well, and and more Dana and more Dana, <laughs> more Dana and insights. But until then, remember EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> oh no. <laughs>